0: This is Weekly Signals Interviews. Broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Kaspar. Despite the saturation of media coverage of the War on Terror there remains little public awareness of Osama bin Laden's goals and ideology. In the new book, Messages to the World, the Statements of Osama bin Laden, this unbalance is redressed. Newly translated from the Arabic, annotated with a critical introduction by our guest today, Islamic scholar Bruce Lawrence, this collection places the statements of bin Laden in their religious, historical, and political context, forming part of a growing discourse that seeks to demythologize the terrorist network. Lawrence is the Nancy and Jeffrey Marcus Humanities Professor of Religion at Duke University. He is the author of New Faiths, Old Fears, Muslims and Other Asian Immigrants in American Religious Life, and Defenders of God, the Fundamentalist Revolt Against the Modern Age. Bruce Lawrence, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you. Good to be with you. It's nice to have you on. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing all right?
1: Well, I'm here in New York. Uh, you know, I can't say the weather's as good as whatever it is in uh, Southern California, uh, but I'm fine.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it, it gets monotonous out here. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always sunny, and, and uh, we actually look forward to the... Uh, to the um, occasional earthquake? Yeah, yes, <laughs> I, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so tell us, how did you uh, become involved in this book? Well,
1: I've done a lot of work on... Osama bin Laden in other connections. Uh, I sit on the Duke University Press, and we got an interesting manuscript from France um, in August 2001 that told the story of, of bin Laden. In fact, it was called in the name of Osama bin Laden, and I thought it might be interesting someday. And then 11 September happened, and I said, "Wow, I think the day has come." So we translated that book um, from French uh, into English, and uh, it became you know one of the instant stream of. Ready access books that people looked at after 9 11 and tried to figure out why mm-hmm. this Bin Laden was such a um, a, 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 a mercurial character. Uh, the fellow's name was Roland um and as I say, it was the name of Osama Bin Laden. And then talked about global terrorism and the Bin Laden Brotherhood. <laughs> and then I'm doing a book with Grove Atlantic uh, on the whole of the Quran. So I started to look at not just Bin Laden uh, and Al Qaeda, but how he uses words, and particularly how he. Quotes from the Quran and from early traditions relating to the Prophet Muhammad, and I found that he's uh, he's quirky. He's got his own take, and it's uh, it's good to know that his language is not pervasive and it really isn't consensual. Not all Muslims agree with him. So, in two in two respects, both immediately after 9/11, uh, a kind of follow-on book, if you will, that uh, opened up some discussion about Bin Laden and Al Qaeda. I got interested, and in then in my own book, looking at his language, uh, a book uh, that's going to be. Uh, coming out from Grove Atlantic and, and simply called um, the Quran biography.
0: You say he's quirky and has his own take, Osama bin Laden? Uh, uh-huh. What do you mean by that? It's how 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 quirky exactly is he?
1: Well, I mean, some people say, you know, he's not the first radical or extremist or even, you know, terrorist-minded uh, Muslim. And they say, you know, it goes back to a tradition that started with the Muslim Brotherhood in, in Egypt, a fellow in Hassan al-Banna and more recently Sayyid Qutb. Uh, and the jihad group there, and they say, you know, that he—he, he, he, of course, it's true that Bin Laden did spend uh, a couple years in in Egypt after he would had his basic education in Saudi. He, by the way, has never traveled out outside of um, small circle of countries. He's certainly never been to the United States, as far as I know. But but he had—he's uh, uh, he, an autodidact. He he basically taught himself a lot of of. Um, of um, issues about history and about uh scripture and about uh, contemporary affairs and what what's what is stunning is how he, he 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 puts it all through a single prism and that is that uh, hostility is inevitable um, muslims are always in the right jews and christians are always the enemy and this this theme of us versus them in this case muslims versus christians jews has been going on since the 7th century and it's not going to end so he has that sort of Uh, if you will, dualistic, confrontational worldview, and he just plays it all the way through from the 7th century to the 21st.
2: Which, I want to point out, we're talking about the Crusades, aren't we, basically? Well,
1: yeah, I didn't mention that, but that's certainly one thing he mentions a lot. No, I mean, the
2: the 7th century, is that the beginning of the... I I forgot Well, he he
1: sees the 7th century as the beginning of a Muslim confrontation with with unfriendly and unsympathetic and outright wrong others, uh, namely Jews and Christians. He sees the Crusades as a time when these um, infidel others invaded what was Muslim territory, the Holy Land, Jerusalem. And then the counter-crusade w- was led by a fellow named Saladin or Salahuddin, um, who became the hero for people who say, you know, there is a Muslim worldview that is unmistakably uh, counter to Jewish and Christian uh, perspectives, even though all three are related to the prophet Abraham. And so, yeah, he picks up the Crusades as a metaphor, and of course, when President Bush mentioned Crusades in, in mid-September uh, 2001, uh, to say that our response to the uh, attack of uh, 11 September is going to be a crusade, uh, he picked up on that, and even though President Bush later revoked it and said, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, it's not really a crusade, the word stuck, the The message, as it were, became uh, something that was uh, Osama bin Laden's repertoire, not President Bush, and he's used it ever since. So, yeah, crusade is the – if you had to pick one word to to describe it, it's their crusade and our counter-crusade. And the word jihad for him, for bin Laden, means simply Mm -hmm. counter-crusade, defensive warfare.
0: uh, Now, now this book has writings – from Bin Laden, uh, when is the first one? I just come out and ask Well, there. yeah,
1: it's a, it's a great question because some people think, oh, you know, this guy has been writing since he went to Afghanistan in the '80s. I mean, most people know that he didn't just sort of come out of the desert sand or you know just take a plane from Jeddah and 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 land uh, somewhere uh, east of Kabul. What what really happened is, of course, the, he 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 failed really in his first endeavor to be an engineer or even uh, you know a a major. Player in his father's uh, multi-billion-dollar construction company in Saudi, and so he went to Saudi, He went to went from Saudi Arabia to Afghanistan with the blessing of the Saudis probably with their good wishes that he would stay there. And he fought so well and did many things on behalf of the Afghani's who were opposing the Soviets. We paid him a lot. The CIA people say he d- he did all his own money. He got more money from the CIA and from what's called ISI. The the um, inter-service intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, which is equivalent to CIA for Pakistan. And so he really developed there into his own notion of what he wanted to do. And then he began making public declarations, to answer your question, in 1994. Yeah. After he'd come back from Afghanistan, after he failed to be enlisted uh, by the, the Saudi government to evict Saddam Hussein when he invaded Kuwait in 1991, and it was really after that that he took a hard line against the Saudis because they invited Americans and not him to oppose Saddam. And so the first letter is against the Saudis in '94. The last one in our collection is ten years later, rolling on past the entire episode of the the, the war uh, against uh, Iraq, which which then, of course, passed on to the to having the sanctions against Iraq and episodes that included the. Uh, embassy bombings in uh, spring, early summer of 98 in, in Africa, and then, of course, bombing the USS Cole in Yemen. He recites, recites all these things as great deeds he did, but then the greatest was 11 September 2001. So, all the letters cover the period from 94 to 2001. And then, what I say in my introduction is 2001 on, he starts to feel he's won.
2: You know, he hasn't
1: won militarily. There's no battle that says, you know, the Mujahideen or Al Qaeda or bin Laden is victorious. But he thinks he's won the battle of hearts and minds and he's writing kind of for his own future history when he gives these various statements which are increasingly bold both impressive and quite um terrifying when you read them now in 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 this in this fall of 2005.
2: In, in what regard do you, do you find Can You give us an example of one? Yeah, yeah. yeah an example is,
1: you know, um, after all, he, 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 he uh, people say, "What kind of a guy is he?" You know, would you want to have tea or coffee with him? And I said, "Not really," but you know, I, I look at him and I can see why other people are spellbound because he's a very ascetical-looking figure. I call him Dracula with a turban. I mean, he's not got you know a friendly face, but it's an impressive and awesome face mm-hmm. uh, with a beard and toga, and he sort of looks uh, you know very much the Spartan religious figure. Mm-hmm. And of course, he gave up great wealth to undertake this uh, battle against uh, the enemy and. And then he, he he projects from that standpoint a a, a hugely uh, lyrical uh, voice. I mean, it's it's hard to describe if you haven't um, ever heard Arabic. But Arabic has has various like you know, like English. There are various kinds of uh, uh, people and various ways of speaking English. But Bin Laden uses a very, almost kind of flat, um, uncharismatic tone, and yet the, t- the yet the words themselves. Have extraordinary power and its lyrical power, that it's almost rhymed verse. So, mm-hmm. an example would be the sermon he gave um, approximately two years ago. It was February of 2003, two and a half years ago now. Uh, he gave a sermon. It's the only one of the sermons we could find. Uh, there may have be been others, but they weren't recorded. They weren't made public to a larger audience. But this particular sermon ends with him giving a poem, and we couldn't find the poem. We tried to trace it down because he quotes other poets who are known, well known from the past. And we finally realized that the language is his. Mm which makes it even more chilling, because at the end he says, this is a sermon, huge sermon. This is not a 15-minute, this is a 50-minute sermon. Yes. At the end of this 50-minute sermon, he says, let me be a martyr dwelling in a high mountain pass. I mean, obviously it's somewhere in Afghanistan, probably Bor, among a band of knights. That's Al-Qaeda. United in devotion to God, they descend to face armies. That's all of us. So, you know, in verse he sort of described in four lines what his mission is, and also his own destiny, which is to die as a martyr or shaheed.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there anyone in the English language, uh, an author or, or a spokesman that you compare them to, as far as the just the flow of the language? I'm not trying to to, to pin down a political uh, person here, but more of a uh, of an author. You know, the closest I can come. I've had uh,
1: a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, g- give us a comparison. And I think when I first talked to um, a very. Uh, charming and effective reporter from The New Yorker back in back in August. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, he reminds me of Chaucer, and she said, can you give a more recent example? <laughs> and I said, yeah, maybe Shakespeare. Yeah, you know, so I've been I've been sort of trying to figure out some because it's really hard to give a contemporary example in English because people um, in English don't tend to speak this way. I mean, T. S. Eliot, The Wasteland, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, uh, that would be. A, a 20th century example. What a
2: Ginsburg, the Howell? <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe
1: Ginsburg, the Howell, Yeah, maybe I should go to California. Think of Ginsburg, <laughs> the Howell.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, actually,
1: I, I think you know you you may you may have made a better comparison than I came came up with.
2: Now I'm going to ask you. I want to go back a little bit um, because how did how did Bin Laden? What was the the circumstances by which he sort of made the transition from the son of a extremely wealthy. Uh, Saudi family into what was that transition uh, about what was his coming out if you will if there were a specific event that 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 was his I guess coming out party yeah yeah no it's a great question you know
1: like everything with bin Laden it could probably have multiple answers and and he himself gives more than one answer in other words you know, he says in some of his letters, "My gosh, you know, I I identified with Islam, but then when I went out to Afghanistan, I saw the light." You know, fighting with the Mujahideen because they were the original people he identifies the Mujahideen with those in Afghanistan who were supporting who were who were supporting the resistance to the Soviets. So he's had a lot of work in insurgency well before Afghanistan today or Iraq today. But one of the things that, that that is contradictory is that when he says, you know, why did I decide to to really become a militant? He never says he's a terrorist. No, he does. I'm sorry. He says he's a terrorist, but he says my terrorism is because of your terrorism. In other words, I'm a counter terrorist right. in in his own language. Right. Uh, but what made the transition? He says in in one of his more recent letters, one from 2004. He says, you know, uh, he says, you know what? In fact, it was fall of 2004. He says, you know what it was when I when I saw the American bombs that the Israelis used to, to pelt Beirut in 1982. Mm-hmm. I realized then that I had an implacable enemy, and it was the, what he called the Zionist Crusader Alliance. So he use that word crusader, mm-hmm. pairs it with Zionist, and he says, my coming out, or my light bulb, if you will, my uh, my my blink, my moment when I blinked and said, what's next, was uh, in 1982 with the uh, Israeli bombing in Beirut.
2: But it was prior to that, it was before 1980, Wasn't it that he was in fact, and I mean, there are these conspiracy theories out there that that identify a specific CIA name that he had, the money that we paid him, uh, charges that he at least initially was a sort of a double agent for the CIA. Is it was during that time, as you said, he learned about insurgent warfare, fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. I'm trying to. I guess I'm trying to get to is. What is myth and what is the reality that of that particular part of his life
1: well you know it's it, it, it's not a part that he that he only gives his biography a couple times and he never says, "Oh, this is when it happened um what what he what he what he does say very often is that you know i didn't i didn't like the tone of the time i didn't like the zeitgeist of the period where i or the period of the place where i was uh, and 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 it and it sort of Closest we get from reading his letters and from uh, looking at other sources is that well, that he, he went out almost on an um, excursion, a kind of um, you know a, a, a feasibility study to uh, Pakistan, specifically to Peshawar, in 1980. He was only 23 years old in 1980, mm. after all, mm-hmm. and and there he, he he kind of saw that some of the things that he'd studied earlier when he was in. Um, Cairo in the early '70s, and, and before he went to university in Jidda in 1978, he kind of saw that here here was uh, a case study, a, an actual application of, of why jihad and and war against uh, an enemy was so so important. And and he uh, actually worked with this guy Azam Abdullah Azam, whom he had met uh, in. Uh, in Cairo,
2: is he the the gentleman who started the Egyptian the uh, Islamic Brotherhood? Is he the no no
1: the guy who started the Islamic Brotherhood? Is, I know there's a lot of confusing names, but the guy who started the Muslim Brotherhood is a guy named Hassan al-Banna. Okay, and the later one was a fellow named Syed Qutb, and it was his older brother Muhammad Qutb uh, who was there along with Abdallah Azam in Cairo when. Bin Laden took, as it were, an overseas course for a while. He, he, he was. What has to stress again and again? He came from wealth, but he was not himself um, a great student or even, uh, you know, a, a rising star in the family business. In other words, he was looking for something to do uh, beyond uh, just following his father's footsteps or try and become, you know, a, a middle level manager in some other company. And so, at the point when he went to uh, to Cairo in the seventies, uh, he he was obviously moving beyond Arab nationalism. He was not comfortable with Western materialism, but he hadn't found what was happening. And I I often think that really what happened is that 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 the American uh, airlift uh, uh, to uh, to Israel, which reversed the Yom Kippur War in nineteen seventy three, mm-hmm. that that plus you know the the, the oil embargoes and then the uh, 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 huge oil revenues of the seventies contribute to a sense that something was changing the world and that Islam was the answer. So I think he didn't, in my view, he didn't have a a blink, a sudden conversion, but a gradual hardening of options, and he was moving towards a, a, a kind of militancy and a stridency in his own outlook, but it wouldn't probably have gone to the next level if he hadn't gone out to Pakistan in the early, t- uh, when he was 23, and, and specifically to the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan.
2: Oh, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with uh, Bruce Lawrence, and he's the author of Messages to the World. Yeah. The statements Hardly the of- author. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me, let me. The editor of, of uh, the book uh, on bin Laden, The Messages to the World, The Statements of Osama bin Laden. I, I guess w- what he saw, uh, what you're saying, I think what you're describing is his ideology was in place. Uh, when, and then he went to Afghanistan, and he saw a manifestation of the things that he thought were capable, uh, that the Islamic um, fighters were capable. He saw it happen. He saw them essentially chase the great Soviet empire out of Afghanistan, and probably very much emboldened by that. I'm certain he was emboldened by that idea when he, when he saw that happen.
1: He was emboldened, but I tell you, I'm not sure that <clears throat> emboldened means that he already saw the possibility of taking on another superpower, namely the United States, I actually think he had at least some of course he now denies it, but he had at least some positive feeling about the Americans as allies in fighting the great atheist evil. I mean, because after all, this guy talks again and again about how important belief in God is, and there's uh, many of the people who uh, knew him back in that period in the 80s say he was always saying that the great problem of the Soviets is that they were atheists, and and he never mentions the Americans as atheists. In fact, even now he doesn't talk about <clears throat> American atheists. He talks about American infidels. In other words, they have the wrong belief, but they believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a kind of crucial distinction. So there's this notion that he is <clears throat> hardening uh, and, and uh, hardening his outlook and and becoming emboldened by the success against the Soviets. But I don't think he would have turned against the Americans had there not been this feeling of disenfranchisement of, of, of abandonment.
2: Well, which is what the United States left Afghanistan as citizens. And, and then, there was a tremendous amount of wellspring of a, a real bitterness about that because bitterness had, in Afghanistan, but but for him
1: even a greater bitterness that <clears throat> when he goes back to Saudi, which he does, I mean after all he leaves Afghanistan in identity, most of these camps were disbanded. There was no more money, there was no more enemy, so the the training camps uh, there are very few of them that remained. A few that were that were there were, were were maintained by the ISI, that is, the, the Pakistani Security Agency. But yeah. nonetheless, he went back to Saudi. I think he planned to stay in Saudi, but then Saddam pulled the plug. Pulled, Saddam invaded Kuwait, and he really thought this. He, he hated Saddam. I mean, he's the an very apostate,
2: own, right? He's an, an apostate. Yeah, oh,
1: definitely an apostate. So he, he he opposed Saddam, and he wanted the chance to fight Saddam the way he fought the Soviets. And I think. Uh, you know, you can say various things about why the Saudis opted to invite Americans in, or whether it was the Americans who forced the Saudis to invite them in. He, I, I'm not going to go there. I don't know really the outcome of that decision making. But for Bin Laden, it was a it was a rebuff, a severe rebuff, so much so that he was, uh, you know, he was he was kept under house surveillance, uh, even at one point house arrest. And then he said, "Look, I want to leave the country," and they said, "Hey, please, uh, you know, uh, go sooner the better." And so he left in nineteen ninety one and he was still young. He was still, you know, early thirties then. Goes to the Sudan and I actually think the Sudan was a crucial building block that most people forget. He goes to the Sudan and he has a chance to organize his own niche. Uh in other words, he'd been under Azam when he'd been in, in Afghanistan back in the uh back in the eighties. He never really had uh, the possibility of a training camp obviously in Saudi. But he goes to Sudan, and he's able to, to develop his own group and his own um uh, cohorts. And it was there that he also had people who were Arabs who'd fought against the Afghans. He invites them to come to the Sudan. So he builds up his nucleus. And actually, I think Al Qaeda was was formed in the the in in the period that he was in uh, in in the Sudan. Although it wasn't formalized, it didn't actually go public, as it were, until he returns to Afghanistan in 1996. So that's my that, that's how I view it. Is that he was. Um, the transition. There were several points along the way when he could have been dissuaded. or He could have been stopped. And of course, the American response, which was in 1998, after after the bombings of the um, embassies in uh, in Africa, um, President Clinton, you may recall, ordered a, a missile strike on both uh, Khartoum and also some of the training camps in, in uh, eastern uh, Afghanistan, a place called Host. Um, had they succeeded, uh, we wouldn't have had. A sequel there wouldn't be this book there wouldn't be a bin Laden that we're now talking about. They missed, and ironically um because they missed, he developed the aura of a hero, somebody who was invincible, somebody who stood up and not only opposed but succeeded in defying the west and so I think really if you if you kind of want to trace his his ascendancy in kind of global terms uh it was really the um uh, the failed attempt to um to, in effect, um, kill him uh, through a missile attack in in 1998. But already by that time he had developed what I think is the real secret to his image, his image-making certainly, is the connection to Al Jazeera, to satellite television, Arab satellite television that is free of government control, that was operating out of Doha, the capital of Qatar. And where people from the from the bureaus there were able to say we can get, we can scoop the world we can get uh, information about this guy who's now becoming a kind of at large terrorist but still not public enemy number one he, you know he he done some damage but he wasn't really um, the most defiant and, and the most uh, worrisome uh, person for uh, for the CIA or for American or um, ally interest but then as things go progressing worse and worse and then. September 11th happens, um, he propels himself from being uh, a major nuisance to being public enemy number one, and he's able to get access to a larger audience through Al Jazeera, roughly 50 to 55 million Arabic-speaking listeners and viewers, and that projects his fame and also his notoriety at a level that it never was before.
0: We're speaking with uh, Bruce Lawrence about his book, Messages to the World, The Statements of Osama bin Laden. And you said in the book that uh, bin Laden does not want to return to the past, to, to any great Arab civilizations. Uh, does, what is it that he wants? Does he have a vision of a just society that he wants to move into? Or what is he speaking about in his book? that, that is there an ideal?
1: You know, if, 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 if he had an ideal, uh, I think he would probably be... Uh, even more compelling, and therefore, uh, in the, in, from an American uh, perspective, he'd be more dangerous. Uh, what I found, and it was really to me that, uh, the the first shock, was he that he spoke and wrote so well. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. excerpts I'd got and I'd read, even the ones I'd done from for previous books, never gave me any any indication that the guy was such a skilled rhetorician that he knew how to play with words and he knew how to direct his his uh, declarations to specific audiences with with the maximum impact. But the second thing, which really um, kind of took me by surprise, I thought he would be sort of like um, some of the antecedent figures often mentioned with him. I mentioned this fellow, Saad Qutbhar, another fellow from Pakistan named uh, Maldudi, Abul Ala Maududi I thought, like Khatib or Malduti, he would have this notion of an Islamic state, mm-hmm. uh, of a just society, of uh, empowering uh, the poor, which of course is part of the ideology also of the Islamic Republic of Iran. I kept looking for stuff like that. You don't find it, and and, and so what to me was sort of amazing was this anemic, almost um, eviscerated worldview that says, look, we just fight and fight and fight, and we die. Well. That means there's a reward in heaven if you follow the logic, uh, but what is the sequel or what is the counterpart on earth? And that other side of the message is lacking, and that to me is the, is a is a major default. I mean, obviously, I, I'm not condoning his his violence or his yes. killing of innocents, but I'm saying if if you if you for a moment are anti-American or you're anti-imperialist and you want to have a new ideology, a new a new line of hope for the future, and you and you follow Bin Laden. Uh, he's great on defense. He's bad on offense.
2: Well, that brings up something that <clears throat> some that, something I've thought about in terms of this, um, bin Laden, not just bin Laden, but the the sort of the, the idea for me is that Islam has become in some way of, uh, of sort of the liberation theology for the third world in the sense that they are essentially powerless people that uh, much of Islam's. Uh, faithful or live in, the, in these essentially politically disempowered uh, societies, and that Islam, in a manner of speaking, has become a vehicle by which they can address some of the imbalances, politically speaking, in these societies, and that that is, in a sense, some of the message of bin Laden. Would you? Well, I,
1: you know, it, it, that's a really great uh, speculation. I've, I've actually never quite uh, framed it that way, although... Uh, I've often thought of uh, Islam as liberation theology. Actually, a very wonderful South African author, Free Ishaq, uh, wrote a book uh, called um, uh, Quran, Islam, and uh, and Liberation Theology, uh, where he makes exactly the connection you just described. But he does it to say, let's build a just order, let's recognize that, you know. Right. What the Quran really wants is empowering the disempowered, and and not uh, you know a, a message for or a program for killing the innocent.
2: Well, right. But I
1: think you're right about the the, the appeal. The, uh, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you, and then have a slight caveat. I agree with you that that there is a notion in which he he does represent an anti-imperialist, a very strong anti-imperialist message, and in that sense, it is a liberation from the continuing occupation of. Arab and Muslim lands by those who are neither Arab nor Muslim, um, and 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 so I, I I agree with you. There is that sense of but what where I think it really falls short of being a compelling liberation theology um, is uh, there's there's no there's no connection to the actual societies going through a transition where there's hope beyond defeat of the enemy, beyond eviction of the uh, right. occupiers, right. and that's where I think it's. It, it doesn't compare with Guterres, for instance
2: who and i don't and i, and I agree with you i'm yeah. not I, i'm just saying in sort of the 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 attraction of the people who are attracted to bin laden one very powerful aspect of the connection with islam is that it represents an, a way of fighting back a, an an avenue by which they can pursue uh, their own grievances uh we are running very short on time and this is i mean this is really a f- Fascinating. We haven't got to so many of the issues that I, th- I mean, so many other issues here, but we're running out of time. Uh, Bruce Lawrence, uh, once, once again, I want to remind our listeners that he's the uh, editor. Put together this book, the messages to the world, the statements of Osama bin Laden, and it is truly tragic, in, in in from my perspective, that we are spending billions of dollars to fight him and his organization. And if you ask the average American what he's about or what he is, what his appeal is, they couldn't tell you anything about him beyond that he's a bad guy.
1: I hope that'll change,
2: and and I hope this this book does go uh, to, towards uh, solving um, to addressing some of that. Thank you very much for being on Weekly Signals. Well, thank
1: you, Nathan and Mike. Thank uh, you both. Right. I, I enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I now have even one more reason to like
2: Irvine. <laughs> all right. Very good. Thanks again. Well, you take care. We'll, we'll talk to you again. Okay. Thanks all right. a lot. Right. Bye bye.
0: To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan.
2: And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.